The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 non-stop destination for A's baseball. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the All-Star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. We're going to be talking to Anthony Castrovince from MLB.com. We'll talk to Mike Farron from the Arizona Diamondbacks, but also more importantly, Sirius XM MLB Radio, and then Bob Nightingale, one of the top columnists from the USA Today. Anthony Castrovince has a great new book out, plus has been doing some unbelievable stuff on MLB.com. Here is Anthony. Anthony, it's great to have you back on. How is life treating you? Life's good. Uh, we made it. We made it to the World Series. There was a lot of uh, you know, concern at various points that we want to get here. So here we are. So I'm just going to uh, soak it in. And of course, the book is uh, a, a Fan's Guide to Baseball Analytics. It's a great book. Check it out. Uh, I'll teach you a lot about the game. And once again, I know a lot of our listeners have picked up the book. Congratulations on the success of this. Yeah, you know, it's done pretty well in light of the difficult circumstances, obviously, with a shortened baseball season and um, and just, you know, a lot going on in our world, to say the very least. But, uh, you know, we're happy with it. And uh, it should have a shelf life, too, no pun intended for a book. But uh, it just, uh, you know, it helps helps fans just gain a greater grasp of, of the stats that are really driving the game, you know. Um, and, and to help equate, we all know what a good 300, what a good average is, what a good RBI total is. But. You know, this book, especially in a shortened season like this, and who knows what ha- what we have going forward in 2021, this book really helps you understand the the rate statistics and the and the statistics that that average things out to the league average to help you understand where a guy sits relative to his peers. I think that's important right now. You know, on your guys' website MLB.com, they have the how the rosters were built story going right now, and you would think just if if, if you didn't know off the top of your head, you'd think Tampa Bay would have a lot more homegrown players than the LA Dodgers. But that's not mm. the case. It's actually the the Dodgers are built more how you think the Rays would be built. Yeah, it's true, and that's what makes the Dodgers so dangerous. You know they've been dangerous and they will remain dangerous for the foreseeable futures. They have such an incredible pipeline and not that the Rays don't either. The Rays have a very strong pipeline as well, but um, the, the, the Rays predominantly the way they built this thing is by maximizing trade values and making wily trades wherever possible in a weird way. They almost have an advantage over some other small market or mid market teams. And that look, there's no expectation they're going to spend money, right? So everybody knows a guy reaches arbitration he's gone and you know, they're going to make a move and, and bring in the next young kid or what have you. I mean, Tommy Pham was one of their best, if not their best position players last year on a really good 2019 team traded him. He was in arbitration and nine going to make $9 million. Like, man, we can't do that. So that's the way the Rays have this constant turnover, but they, they make smart moves, you know, and it goes without saying that the Randy Arozarine trade, which wasn't even billed as the Randy Arozarine trade when they made it, has worked out pretty wonderfully for them. So it's just a really smart organization. I know it's an off day. How many hits did he get today? <laughs> I think he had two today. It's a sh- it's a quiet day for Randy. Uh, you know, he's got those uh, power boots he wears, those cowboy boots, and there's a lot of magic in those boots apparently because he's just been the absolute star of this October. Yeah, it's it's so funny, you know, covering all these different sports all these years. Everybody's made excuses to why certain teams and certain markets can't win. And all of a sudden you look up and the Tampa Bay Lightning have won the Stanley Cup. Tom Brady just outdueled Aaron Rodgers and the Buccaneers are rolling. The Rays are in the World Series. So whether it's Tampa or St. Petersburg, Florida, whatever's happening down there, they are absolutely rolling. And if they end up winning this World Series, what are a lot of teams around baseball? I mean, what excuses can you use to not to not win? I mean, because the whole the whole uh, payroll and market size is going to get thrown out the window. Yeah, and I mean, you know, this is a weird year, so there's no telling, you know, what the Rays would have looked like in 162. And I'm not that they would have been a very good team, and uh, you know, they might have even been a, frick, a frisky uh, AL East pick. But would they have out, you know, outlasted the Yankees in 162? It's hard to say, um, but it's obviously a, a very well-built team and, you know, they've been in postseason in recent past and they, they pushed the Astros to the brink a year ago. 
Um, you look over the last few years, they're one of the best teams in the American League. So you're right. There are no excuses. Uh, um, you know, and they don't, again, they've, they've made those trades, like I said, but it's not like they've blown it all up and, and gone through like a major rebuild process in recent history. They haven't done that at all. They've just maintained a, a stable, competitive situation by making the right moves consistently. And there's, you know, there's a lot to be said for not how much you spend, but how well you spend it. And they, they went on signed Charlie Morton for what was to them a, a very big contract, you know? Um, so they, they invested when they could and where they could, but at the end of the day, it, it does come down to good scouting and, and just having a good system in place. You know, when I think about the Dodgers, there's so many great players and what a run they are having won their division eight straight years. It's like the Braves run years ago uh, through the nineties. Yeah. Uh, is this finally going to be the Dodgers time? I think so. I'm, I'm picking them to win the series and that's no disrespect to the Rays. I just think that, uh, you know, the Dodgers ha- have they're just more multifaceted. I mean, they can do more offensively and they have the pitching that can hang with the Rays. And the Rays probably have the deeper pitching staff overall, but uh, I don't think they can match what the Dodgers can do offensively. And that's a big deal for me. Um, you know, they've, they're, they make you feel good about the shortened season and that this is probably how it was supposed to look in a full season. The Dodgers were supposed to be this juggernaut and they lived up to it in a 60 game season and they lived up to it. And, you know, despite all the weirdness of this postseason with, you know, every division winner having been subjected to that best of three um, and then Dodgers survived all of that. And they survived a, a really Braves gave them a heck of a fight. I give a lot of credit to the Braves, but you know, at the end of the day, the, the Dodgers talent just won out and I expect it to win out in this world series. You know, when you, when you, when you, when you look at this playoffs and, you know, a lot of my, uh, let's say curmudgeon people around me were like, ah, oh, this is not how baseball should be played. But in the end, Anthony, you got the two number one seeds in the world series. Yeah. I know. I mean, go figure, right. It hasn't happened since 2013. And those, and that was the Red Sox and Cardinals. And that's the only two times it's happened this entire century. Um, so, you know, the randomness we expected, you did have, listen, we had upsets and, and whatnot within, uh, this postseason framework, but it is kind of funny that for all that hand wringing about, you know, what would this look like? Here we are, the two number one seeds and, and really, um, it, there is a lot of compelling dynamics to this. I know nationally, like there just won't be the interest in this world series that there would have been if it was Yankees Dodgers. We all know that. Um, but you know, two really well-built teams in terms of the depth of the rosters and like the way that they can, um, you know, maneuver things in the game. I think it's gonna be a lot of fun to watch Dave Roberts and, and Kevin Cash, uh, you know, kind of match which in this wits in this series and, and how they deploy their bench and their bullpen. I was asked this question yesterday and I didn't really have an, I didn't know if I had the right answer or not, but a buddy of mine as we're watching football asked me the question, you know, if the Astros would have made the World Series, what would that have been? What what would have that been like for baseball? You know, I would argue it would be good, honestly, because I think anytime there's a villain, you know, anytime there's that that kind of a focus, uh, and and particularly if it had been what it apparently would have been, which is a you know a rematch with the Dodgers. I mean, that that's such a compelling narrative after what went down in 2017. And yeah, they played each other in the regular season, so maybe that takes some of the edge off because we already had the uh, you know the Joe Kelly moment. <laughs> we already had that uh, yeah. gotten that out of the way. But uh, it's still that would have been a really compelling um, you know I don't want to say good versus evil, but that's basically how it would be painted. You know, so um, I, I think anytime you have a villain in sports, it, it, it does kind of add to the allure a little bit. And uh, and then even if you, you know, didn't despise the Astros for the whole cheating scandal, what have you, then you got the Dusty Baker angle, which is kind of interesting in its own right. And there's a guy who's, uh, you know, been trying to get to the mountaintop and had this opportunity to do so this year. So I, I think that would have been pretty compelling, too. Well, there's been a lot of talk about Dusty and what a career he's had. I mean, we had uh, in our notes about how Dusty Baker has started more games in left field for the L.A. Dodgers than anybody else what a player he was and the relationship with Hank Aaron. And then as a manager, he's taken so many different teams to the playoffs, but he's never gotten to the big one. He's never gotten over that hump. Obviously got really, really close with the San Francisco giants back in the day. Did he need to win and get to the world series to really be looked at as a hall of fame, uh, caliber manager? Where, where, what side of the fence are you with dusty? 
I know. I had a friend uh, text me about that uh, just yesterday. And, and yeah, ultimately, I, I just feel like knowing how these things work, I just feel like, yeah, he probably needs that on his ledger to uh, get in the Hall of Fame. I'm not saying for me personally. I'm just saying, you know, just the general, uh, you know, how, how the Hall of Fame has operated. And um, you never know. I mean, you get in those committee votes and small committee, and it's all about who was on that committee, you know, and is it friends of Dusty? You know, maybe um, we saw that with, you know, Harold Baines got in recently because <laughs> the, the particular committee just works in his favor. But um, it, it does seem like the World Series title is a pretty important thing to have for a manager. But you know, I would just say that I'd like to see him get in just because I think there needs to be a place in the Hall of Fame for guys like Dusty Baker who give their life to the game and have so much success, you know, regardless of, of whether or not they, they get that, that final win. Um, as you said, he's, he's taken 10 teams to the postseason. Um, and he's had some really dramatic, uh, you know, defeats within that postseason. But I think the, the, the proof is in the longevity and, and the ability to consistently get there with different franchises and, and different, you know, concoctions of teams, whether they were you know, younger teams or older teams or what have you. He, he's shown the ability to manage all different kinds of players and, and to get the best out of them. And um, I, I don't think there's a thing he did wrong in that league championship series. It just ultimately the Rays just had, you know, better pitching depth. But uh, you know, Dusty made a lot of good moves, I thought, in that series to get the most out of a predominantly young uh, pitching staff that had been battered by injury this year. Well, later on this evening in Houston, a friend of ours, Vanessa Richardson, she's a sports reporter and anchor there in Houston. She's got a half-hour sit-down with Jeffrey Lunau. Mm-hmm. What, do you, what do you expect to, to hear from this? What, what do you think he's going to say? I don't know. I'll be curious. I think a lot of people are curious. Um, you know, it's look, the, the Astros dynamic has been overblown in some respects that they were not the only ones, you know, relaying signs through technological means. It's just, they're not. Um, but they were probably the most egregious offenders and there were certainly a lot of whispers about the Astros, uh, and, and certainly there in Oakland, you know, prior to Mike Fires going public with this. So, um, you know, he definitely knew what was going on, you know? So I don't particularly care what he has to say in regards to other teams are doing it and that sort of thing, because, you know, everybody was warned about this and their tactics, as I said, were, were pretty egregious, but, um, you know, he's, uh, they came down hard on that front office culture, uh, as much as anything, you know, it wasn't just about that they were cheating. It was also about the, the kind of organization he ran there. And, you know, they were not thought of favorably within the industry in terms of how they dealt with other teams and, and how they dealt with things internally. And a lot of that came to a head uh, last fall because it wasn't just the cheating scandal. It was what happened in October as well, um, you know, with the unfortunate incident when they when they clinched the LCS. So, um, you know, as I said, a lot of things came to a head. And uh, it will be interesting to see what he has to say about all that. All right, let's end on this. The book is A Fan's Guide to Baseball Analytics. When looking at this World Series, give me one analytic you'll really be looking at from a pitching standpoint and one analytic you'll really be looking at from an offensive standpoint. Well, sure. I mean, you get to this stage and, and you kind of start to throw the numbers out the window. It's all about you know the present moment. Um, but you know, anytime you can relate things to, as I said, the league average with like a weighted runs created plus for offense or you know, ERA plus for, for pitching, you know, that's important. But, you know, again, we get to this stage, honestly, the, the dynamic I'm just interested in right now is the value of, of those off days that we didn't have uh, in the division series and league championship series rounds, because it really became fascinating to see how, how teams use their bullpens, knowing, um, you know, to use a guy three days in a row can get pretty precarious and, and law of diminishing returns. Well, now we return to the more traditional setup with the, uh, you know, the off days uh, in between. So I, I, to me, you know, I'm not, I hate to miss an opportunity to promote my book again, but to me, that's the most interesting thing about this now is you have um, a raised bullpen that is, you know, very deep and has the ability to get rest now. And maybe that will be a difference maker. As I said, I ultimately think the Dodgers uh, have the superior offense and that will shine through, but um, you know, here's an opportunity for the Rays to really maximize their strength, which is in the back of the, the back end of that bullpen. Yeah, I'm just bummed we don't have baseball tonight. I'm used to having a game every single night. What are you, days off? What the heck's going on around here? Well, two game sevens. You know, I think we all need to collectively catch our breath for a night and then uh, you know get right back at it tomorrow. Hey, great stuff as always. We'll talk soon, and best of luck. Be safe. All right. Thank you so much. Good to talk to you.
Well, we always love talking baseball with our buddy Mike Farron. Power Alley on MLB Radio on Sirius XM is their best show. Here is our buddy Mike Farron. You know, when I'm driving home from the golf course and my guy Kevin Franzen is on MLB <laughs> channel number 89 XM with, with Mike Farron, I'm like, man, you'll hire anybody these days. That is absolutely the case. First of all, I can tell you've been playing a lot of golf because it looks like you've gotten a fair amount of sun. Oh. You are ruddy complexion, Tony. <laughs> I got my handicap into single digits. I'm playing almost every day. Oh, life has been good. I'll tell you about the last time I went to go take lessons uh, for golf. My golf game was pretty bad. And after about the third hole, I turned to the pro and he said, I said, what do you think? He goes, my advice to you is to take two weeks off golf and then quit. <laughs> hey, uh, I, I always love it when you go, you know, what? if I were you, I'd take up tennis because at least you'll get some exercise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's too much running for me in that. How are you? I'm doing on? great. I think your guys' coverage on XM has been fabulous. And it's uh, and one of the things I love to do is, uh, you know, because I got the app, because I get in my car, but I got the app. And the fact that you guys are running the, the local broadcast for games, I think, has been fabulous. Uh, it's been a lot of fun to hear the different broadcasts around the country. But the way you guys have covered the playoffs, it's been second to none. Well, thanks. I mean, that's, you know, that's one of the beauties of the the feature we have is that we can, you know, we can show or, or you know, allow listeners to be able to tune in, especially in the postseason to what they want. And so you can get uh, the Rays broadcaster, you can get the Dodgers broadcaster, you can get the national broadcast with with Dan Shulman and Chris Singleton and uh, Jessica Mendoza. And so you can get different perspectives and try a whole bunch of different, um, uh, different things out. And um, it's one of the things that I really appreciate about where we work is that, you know, we, we're able to give a lot of different access. It's a little different in the season. If you're listening on one of the radio devices, because you know, the bandwidth to do the home team feeds, but you can always get it through the app too. And it's just, you know, it's fun. And it all ties back into what we do on MLB network radio and that it, it's great support for, for us, you know, being able to have something to talk about every day. If you are someone who wants to make a fine living in this game, <laughs> I, I think it's a, a real question. Do you think a lot of teams are really, or I should say players, really rooting for the Rays? Because I think from the standpoint of if I'm a player, having the team that goes on the cheap and wins it, you know, we, we always talk about all these sports are copycat leagues. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're a player, do you really want to see the Rays win? Man, that's a question that I haven't even thought of. Um, and it's a really good one because we certainly have seen organizations trend more towards um, the uncertainty and inexpensive nature of youthful talent versus the certainty and maybe lack of ceiling of more expensive veteran players. And I'll add that we're probably going to see that take another huge step uh, in that direction here over the next several months as we deal with, you know, continued fallout from the pandemic and what it means for baseball financially going forward. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'd be curious to know if any players are wired like that. I'm sure that there are some that compete against the Dodgers that are just tired of the Dodgers, right? And that they would like to see them, uh, you know, see the Rays win because they're as much rooting against the Dodgers. But from a financial standpoint, it is an interesting thought. I mean, for every guy that doesn't get a deal like that, though, it's an opportunity for someone else who might be talented, who might be able to make, uh, you know, a career that that you know, they hadn't thought of otherwise. And the Rays certainly have, you know, a number of guys who have been either Division three players like Josh Fleming or guys that have bounced around to multiple organizations like John Curtis or, you know, any number of guys like that who would continue to, you know, get chances overall to be able to, to try and show. Hey, G-Man Choi is another good example of guys who bounced around. I think he's on a sixth organization, right? Um, and he's obviously a key component for that. So, um, you know, there's opportunity that's there too, but from a, an overall, are you, are you raising the amount of money that is being paid to players? It's a good question. It's one that I wish I had a better answer for. Well, I tell you, one guy's making money and gets a lot of criticism is Clayton Kershaw. Actually, he's been pretty good lately. Where are you on him with the postseason? Uh, you know what? I really, 
there's a good chunk of the the runs that he's allowed that have been given up that are inherited runners over the course of his postseason. And really, I just don't care that much about what are viewed as his postseason failures. Maybe it's because I've seen him pitch well in person enough in the postseason that I don't necessarily think of it as being an issue. I mean, here's here's my favorite Clayton Kershaw stat, and you may have heard me give this one before. Of players since the beginning of the live ball era, so that's going back to 1920, who have thrown more than 2,000 innings in a career, Clayton Kershaw has the lowest earned run average. Is that I a mean, small sample size? <laughs> it's not that small. I mean, you're, so you're talking about one of the all-time great pitchers ever. And I think regardless of what's happened to him in the postseason or, you know, what he has or hasn't done in the postseason, I mean, this guy is a slam dunk first ballot Hall of Famer. So that's that's kind of where I, where I fall on the Kershaw discussion is like there's no legacy game for him in the playoffs. There's no, you know, none of this. Like his legacy is cemented. The guy's got three Cy Young Awards. He's one of the all-time greats. So, I mean, basically, you know, you know, it is what it is. Ray's got to win the next two games. Yeah. Are, are you buying any stock in the in the Rays, or do you think this thing's over? Well, I think they've got the advantage in Game Six. I mean, I think even with Dave Roberts' comments today that Tony Gonsolin is being viewed viewed as a starter and not an opener, that they're expecting him to go, you know, like a normal starter workload. I I actually really like Tampa Bay's lineup as it matches up against them, and I think you know much like I would rather attack Tampa Bay's lineup with left-handed pitching. I also would rather attack the Dodgers with a left-handed pitcher, especially one with the stuff that Blake Snell has. So I think the Rays have an advantage in game six, and then you get to game seven, and like anything can happen. And Charlie Morton wasn't very good in game three. You want to bet on Charlie Morton having two bad postseason starts in a row? I'm not sure about that. Now, Walker Buehler doesn't have bad postseason starts either, so you know, maybe that, that helps to tip the scales back towards L.A., but I don't really necessarily look at it as being like it's a, a it's this like crazy needle to thread for Tampa Bay to be able to end up with a World Series championship. I think they've got an, an edge, at least on paper, in going into game six, and then game seven, anything can happen. Yeah, what is the deal with the yoga pants and Walker Bueller? Like, where do you get? Dude, if, I mean, no, like, if you could pull it off, you would. You absolutely would pull, pull that off if you could. I don't know if I would do that look. I, I mean, it's it works for him, right? Like, those are t- like this is the skinny jean era. <laughs> this is not an era that was designed for me. <laughs> I think you'd look great. Ah, yeah, no. If I showed up in skinny jeans at my house, my wife would throw me out. Oh, it would be the best. No, I don't want to live on the street. (laughs) So when you start thinking about this World Series, we've been saying it here. No other other era of baseball has ever had to go through what these guys have gone through. When you're talking, and and we, you know, we were breaking down the Rays about how their bubble was San Diego, and then they got to move their bubble to Arlington, and now they're playing in front of fans for the first time where the Dodgers have been there for weeks in the same hotel, you know, in the same clubhouse. I just, whoever ends up winning this, everything that these players have had to go through playing through this pandemic, social injustice. I mean, think about us out here in California with the fires. Yeah. We were almost dealing with a hurricane down there in Houston. I mean, whoever wins this World Series, I, they're going to, to me, they'll be one of the great champions because everything they had to go through. They certainly will have earned it and, and, and add into an extra round of playoffs that generally doesn't exist, too, um, that everybody had to participate in. It wasn't just a wild card game. So, yeah, I think that there's absolute legitimacy in this season and in this postseason. And, you know, quite frankly, this has been a damned entertaining postseason, too, right? Like, I mean, I think about the the number of games that we've had that have been fun or exciting or had major shifts in the middle. Like, and maybe some of it is because we ended up with a ton of extra games because we had the extra round of playoffs. But, like, there have been some really, really great ones. You know, I think game three of the A's-White Sox series was a damned compelling game. You know, like, that, that was... That was incredible. Like, you know, watching the Astros come back from down three, nothing only to lose, like, but still have chances late in that game. Like there was, there's been a lot, the Dodgers Padres, you have played a great series. Obviously game four of the world series was one of those ones that will be forever remembered because it was just such a crazy seesaw affair. Like, I, I think that there have been really compelling games. I agree with you. The challenge, the players and coaches and staff have had to go through this year has been 
unprecedented. And I think that that level of mental fatigue that has come with it um, has certainly had an impact on the players and that we should laud whoever wins the championship this year for surviving. Um, it would, in a lot of respects, is the most grueling tournament we've had. You know, I, you know, we got to see in San Diego down at the winter meetings and I know we, you know, we just had Rob Manfred on the show and I asked him about the off season and he said the, the virus will dictate what happens this off season, mm-hmm. you know, with the CBA. I mean, we really have no clue what baseball is going to look like in 2021. Would you say that's correct? Yeah, I think that that's absolutely fair. I mean, I think we have a, a schedule for now but I don't know that it's necessarily going to be the schedule that we end up following. Um, It feels a little weird and kind of disgusting to say, but the fans in the stands in Dallas may give us some clue as to how close to normal we can be in 2021. If, if baseball gets through these two weeks of games without any community spread or outbreak or um, significant cases that come as a result of, of having fans in the stands, I think it bodes well to, you know, reaching some semblance of normalcy, maybe as we get closer to opening day. I just don't think that we're going to play if we have 25% attendance in all the ballparks, because the, the amount of money that was lost this year by owners that, that, you know, they feel like they need to be able to recoup is not, is going to be at a level that, um, you know, it's not going to be sustainable to try and play a 162 game season. And there's got to be a percentage that makes it okay. But even when that happens, like what happens with revenue sharing, you know, the suspended revenue sharing this year, what happens next year? If you're playing at 50% capacity to open the season, can you share revenue? What does that do for the small market teams? What does that do to the big market teams, which, which have bigger expenses and therefore likely lost more money this year um, overall? So, like, it's, it's a really messy situation. Once we get through this World Series, I mean, you're going to see a play out in free agency, and guys are going to get deals that you don't anticipate. They're going to be significantly lower. You're going to see a ton of non-tenders, I think. The market's going to be flooded with free agents, and guys are going to be taking you know, one-year deals for a fraction of what they normally would because there's just not going to be the, – the budgets are going to be rolled back, by my estimation, somewhere between 20 and 30% by just about every team. Yeah, we just had Liam Hendricks on. And, you know, the good thing that he said was that they got through a season. They've learned how to do it. So that's why he's optimistic for next year. But, you know, with the CBA coming up, I got to tell you one thing. No one's going to want to hear Tony Clark and Rob Manfred bickering over a CBA. They need to get into a room and do this quietly because, you know, so many people who've been laid off and so many people have lost so much money. They're not going to want to hear millionaires and billionaires bickering. I I couldn't agree more. And I think now is the time to get the next CBA done. I really think that that should be on the front burner here over the next several weeks, because to your point, it's, you know, that's nationwide, worldwide that we're dealing with those furloughs and layoffs. But think about it in our industry too. I mean, you're dealing with it with coworkers. I've dealt with it with a number of coworkers on my end, people who are either furloughed or terminated, uh, you know, like had their, their deals done. And like, you think about the joy that it is in working in baseball and how much you dream of it and to have that ripped away by something that, that nobody really could control is very, very difficult. So yeah, I think having some sort of certainty moving forward, certainly makes sense. Um, and I think that that's going to be better for the overall health of the game. Now it's just a matter of both sides can get together on it and try and work it out. And I do think, and, and I will give Rob Manford credit for this in that a lot of the discussion points that he's brought up when it's been brought to him, he said, listen, we worked through after those, you know, that bickering over how many games we were going to play. There were a lot of issues that we worked through, you know, including uh, increased safety precautions for players that the Players Association worked with MLB on. And I'm of the belief that if you can work through those negotiations together, then maybe that would allow you to build some momentum to get something far more significant done. It's just going to be a matter of, you know, who are the hawks and who are the doves on both sides and who ends up having the loudest voice. Yeah, because I, I think about all the major players, for the most part, they have contracts i mean there's been Mm -hmm. record contract extensions so the top players in the game they're going to want to play especially after not making all the money from this season uh 
They want to do the universal DH. It's another high paying job. They want to add, you know, they want to expand two more teams. That's not only two more major league rosters. That's all the minor league rosters. It's like major league baseball is coming to the table and giving the union for the most part, what they want more jobs. I think so to some degree. I mean, I think that there are other things that, that, um, that the, Players Association is concerned about specifically with free agency and how to protect that. But I would also say that a large amount of the way that they could go about protecting free agency would be to um, suggest some ideas that may alter the early career pay structure that I'm, I'm not sure that MLB would be, wouldn't be agreeable to. It just would fly in the face of the way they have negotiated as a whole, at least the players have negotiated as a whole over the last 40 years, their, their structure has generally been like the highest paid guys are going to drag everybody up with them. And now I almost think like you need to be able to bring in a higher floor for player salaries. I'm not talking about floors and caps for, for teams, but for where the player salaries are in an effort to try and rise it up. The idea being that you're encouraging players to stay away from those early career contracts so that they can test free agency so that the stars can get there as well. And, and there needs to be some better incentive for teams to be able to sign quality major leaguers as opposed to trying to piece together a position based on a number of reserves. And that's not to take take away anything but like what Milwaukee did this year was lose two key guys going into the the winter in Grandall and Mustakas who were very important offensive pieces and their idea to fill that was to add like five guys that were going to be cheaper that at least statistically you felt like could piece together most of that production and so then you have those guys leave and you and the problem was that they didn't produce like that because those players were being exposed in a different level than they had been in the past. And so like, there's a lot of things that are at play here that the players association needs to get figured out first and foremost. There's a lot of stuff that MLB does too, because there are some owners that are far more interested in finding a way to create an NBA NHL style revenue split or revenue share with the players than has existed to this point. And that would significantly alter the financial course of baseball as well. And maybe there are some that aren't quite as interested in that. And that's a big fight against uh, what the players association is too. So they're, they're, you know, basically it's the mound meeting in Bull Durham, right? We're dealing with a lot of stuff here. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what does Millie want for her wedding? Right. Well, if that'd be great if Rob Manfred shows up with candlesticks in the first negotiating session with, with Tony Clark and Tony Clark accepts them, will we be on our way to a deal? And he's got to cut the head off a chicken. <laughs> we need a rooster. Is it a live rooster? We need a live rooster <laughs> to take the hex off Jose's glove. Oh, man. I miss seeing you. You look Missing great. Missing you, too. Uh, no, you're lying, but I appreciate you saying that. No, I mean, I, I, I got to tell you, the other day, uh, we actually had like a little uh, a golf meeting, a little business meeting. It was like seeing coworkers that I, I, I haven't seen people since March. I haven't seen Dude, people I work with since March. I went to the ballpark once this year. I went for the doubleheader the last Friday of the season. That was the only time I was in the ballpark this year. It was so bizarre. And like having that experience of being in the park with no fans, like just like really eerie. It was great to see people, but at the same time, you still have that kind of feel about it. I did get out to Instructs one day last week, which was a lot of fun too. That was nice to stand in the hundred degree heat. <laughs> six feet away from scouts but at least i got to watch some baseball yeah i i you know this will be the first time in my life i never went to i never went to a game yeah everything was done from home like they weren't you know because our governor wanted the 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 head count to be so low that they just said okay we'll keep we'll keep our guys out of the ballpark and it was like crazy i mean we did i did every game i did all 60 games all from my house in san jose yeah it's just it it Man, I miss I miss the people more than anything, right? Like I miss baseball games and seeing baseball games in person. Obviously, that's one of the coolest perks of our job or being able to be on the field and do all the cool stuff that you and I get to do, right, as part of our gigs. But like one of the reasons I love covering baseball is because of the people, because the people involved in baseball at so many different levels love to talk about baseball, which happens to be my favorite thing to talk about. So whether it's coaches or sitting in the manager's office or uh, talking to players or standing around the cage or talking to scouts or talking to other broadcasters or talking to writers. I mean, you think about how many different people crossed your path on a given day at the ballpark. And it's not, I mean, what, what do you think? Probably on average, you talk to maybe 40, 45 people over the course of a day, even if it's just like 10 words, like you lose that for 
those six months that you're used to getting that. And that's a huge, like, that's a huge energy boost for me. I'm an extrovert anyway. So like I draw my energy off other people and that was really tough. And I'm, I miss that so much. I miss seeing the people that I know, even the ones that I don't like. Well, <laughs> not all of them. There's one in particular that I really don't miss. But... <laughs> hey, let's end on this. Uh, listening to all the uh, XGMs you guys got, they've been, uh, your buddy, the Duke and, and Jim Bowden have been doing the, uh, they've been doing a pregame show for the World Series. Mm-hmm. And I just get the sense that these guys, they wouldn't want to go back. The game has changed so much. They like being media guys, and I don't think they would like to do the business of baseball the way it's done now. That's just kind of listening to them. Do you get that sense? Well, I mean, I I know Duke pretty well, so I would say that he – one of my favorite Jim Duquette lines was – was always that the guys that that he always felt like had the best jobs were the special assistants because they were the ones who were always smiling when they left the office at the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> and so because they didn't have the responsibility of having to make the decisions or any of that. So in that sense, I think Duke absolutely would go back to do something like that. As to being a GM again, I don't know. You know, it's really interesting because I think Jim's perspective in particular has changed over the course of the last five or six years. And with a much better understanding of the data and technology, I think than a lot of the people that were his peers at the time that are in the media now. And I think his understanding of that and his communication skills with people with people would make him a really interesting candidate for those kind of roles um, to surround himself with. But if he surround himself with the right folk, but I think you're also right. Like it's, it's a little bit different. There's a lot less stress. Um, you know, you, you get to spend uh, a much more time at home. Um, you don't have, you don't have the 3am phone call where something has gone horribly wrong, nearly to the same degree in radio that you do if you're working in a front office. And so I think there's an appreciation for the lack of, of that, but at the same time, it's, it's still competition. And it's the same thing. Like when Aaron Boone took the Yankees job, I said, why did you want, why would you want to do this? Like you've got the gig, right? You do Sunday night baseball, you're you know, flying around the country. You do a couple of games a week. You get to be connected to the game. There's no pressure on it. And in the end, he was like, man, I miss competing. And I think that that's the thing that you can never replicate if you're on the outside is competition and, and the, the joy of wins and the heartbreak of losses. Boy, if I could get that cushy consultant job, I'd take that in a oh, second. God, wouldn't we all? Pay me a million dollars just to show up and say, yeah, I think you guys are doing a great job. Tony, maybe we can start something here. We can get a- I, I figure it out. Whatever. I'm in. You just got to tell people what they want to hear. That's the key to being a consultant. You just tell them what they want to hear and they'll keep paying. Well, it's t- tell them what they want to hear. And then, and then if you're, if you're one of those consultants that, you know, is all about restructuring, then doing the dirty work for them so that they don't have to, that's all you have to do. And you can make, I'd say we should have gone to business school. We I missed know. our chance. Well, you know, I'm listening. Channel 89 XM. I'm listening. I'm also listening on my phone. I'll be out there on the range. listening to you guys in the morning. So, your show is the you're my favorite spot. Well, I appreciate it. And I'm with friends in tomorrow, so maybe we'll take a pot shot at you. The great San Jose State Spartan. <laughs> now we didn't now we both played baseball there. He was just a, a little bit better than I. A little bit younger and a little bit better than me. I think he's, he's I love to tease him. And he said to me the other day, he's like, you know, you don't appreciate how good a player I actually was. <laughs> I think he's still our all-time hits leader. I wouldn't be surprised. Kevin Kevin was a Kevin built a really nice career for himself, and he's a lot of fun to work with. We're, we're lucky we've got a couple of West Coast offensive guys, so they know how to bunt, they know how to hit and run, they know how to take a dose. It's good between him and spillboards. Like we can get guys that turn into a pitch. It's not like you know the Florida State guy and Eduardo Perez is just looking to go bridge. <laughs> Swinging out of his ass. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If we could just get a Fullerton pitcher, we'd teach everybody on staff a changeup. Well, I'll tell you what. At some point, we're going to get out on the course of Bob Melvin down in Arizona. So I, I don't know when that is, but it's not going to be too long. We'll get out to, to Bob's course and we'll uh, we'll we'll hit it around the yard. That, that sounds great. I will caddy for you because my golf game is so bad right now. It would be an embarrassment for me to get on the tee. As long as you can drink beer and drive a cart, you can be a golfer. 
I, I, I am very good at at least the first part of this. <laughs> All right, buddy. You be well, be safe, and we'll talk soon. All right. Sounds good, Tony. Take care. Now, our next guest, I've been, I mean, literally over 20 years, I've been interviewing this guy as he is one of the top baseball columnists in the game. From the USA Today, here is Bob Nightingale. And Bob Nightingale from the USA Today joins us here on A's Cast Live. Bob, you've been really busy. How's everything going? Yeah, yeah good, Chris. A little, uh, yeah, it's been wilder the last few weeks. Well, you, you know the thing that I love, and I think it's been great for the sport, it's like every day we have baseball games. And I know a lot of people were worried about the expanded playoffs, but just what what do you think this has done for Major League Baseball from an exposure standpoint with so many people at home, so many people want new, fresh content, and baseball is delivering it? No, I think the, uh, you know, kudos to baseball for pulling us off. People thought I had no chance to succeed. Couple hiccups here with the Marlins and St. Louis Cardinals. And uh, hey, they got a uh, 60 game season in. They're going to get their full playoffs in. Uh, you know, almost a uh, month and a half without anybody, any player testing positive. So, and uh, people are enjoying it. And it's the time of year where people watch baseball and they get the baseball. You know, I believe the Rays are going to move on. We know what the record's like uh, when a team is down 0-3. And once that happens, you're guaranteed Rays either against the Braves or the Dodgers. So people's fear of an under five under 500 team, a team just getting caught, still the best teams, the best two teams, because you got to think Dodgers one seed, Braves two seed, Rays one seed. You're going to have one of the, the two top teams in baseball playing for the World Series in Arlington. No, you're absolutely right, Chris. I mean, no flukes here whatsoever. Uh, I'm sure the MLB, you know, uh, executives and TV are, you know, rooting for the Dodgers. Uh, you know, I'm not sure how much outside the uh, Southeast we're going to have people falling in love with the World Series of Atlanta and, and Tampa. But you're absolutely right. I mean, these are uh, two of the three best teams in uh, in baseball are going to advance. And uh, hey, this Atlanta pitching staff for real—they're the biggest surprise. I didn't see a, I didn't see a soul taking the Braves to win the World Series, even when the postseason started. Yeah, and they are, and they're just tough. I mean, the Braves, you know, you you look at their roster, and you just start to wonder too, Bob, about the Dodgers when you have that the ghost of past postseason failure. Does it start to creep into the Dodgers right now? Do they start gripping it? I mean, how, how do you see that? Because right now, that dugout with with the Atlanta Braves, they look free and easy, and they look like they're having a great time. Yeah, we'll see. I still think this is anybody's series. Remember now, with no off days, you, you uh, it really is a, a test of someone's depth, and uh, nobody has more depth than the Dodgers. No nobody's got more talent. So I think that you know, game three is still big for the Braves. I mean, they don't have any. Uh, they're gonna have to use a bullpen uh, the next uh, games four and five before they go back to their guys. So you know, uh, you know, they really don't want to lose the momentum here. You know, and, and go back to game six, down two, three, uh, after what they've done. So uh, it's important for them to squeeze one of these three games out before they can go back to Max Freed for game six. Yeah, and, and the Dodgers still have that problem. It's the one thing that, that they haven't been able to figure out. They've figured out how to produce great young players. You know, you bring in Mookie Betts. Their, their roster is as talented or probably more talented than anybody, but getting those final outs, getting those those outs in high-leverage situations, just talk about how but that's been the Achilles heel of the Dodgers. It's been their bullpen in the big moments. Yeah, it really has. It kind of reminds you back at the, at the day of the Braves. The Braves won 14 straight division titles, only won one World Series, and one hard on them. It was a bullpen. It was, it was always the, uh, they can never get the closer right. Uh, back in the games, they're losing a ton of them. Uh, same here with the Dodgers, you know, not just uh, shutting down at the end. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Obviously, Kenley Jensen isn't the guy that, that uh, same guy that started the season. Uh, they don't trust him in the ninth inning. And that, that certainly cost him in, in game one. So, you know, and the Braves team still is a dynasty, 14 straight division titles. And, you know, won one World Series, you know, went to five of them. And uh, they should have won at least one or two more. But, you know, it's time for the Dodgers to win that World Series because people in L.A. or, you know, throughout the country, the Dodger fans are tired of just seeing division titles. All right. 
you're managing, you're Dave Roberts, you're managing for your season. Let's say you got a one nothing lead in the ninth inning. Who are you throwing out there as the closer? You know, I probably might go to Guerrero, uh, the way he's pitched. Uh, you know, Kelly Trinan, uh, you know, at least Jensen has done that. I, I, I do think maybe he deserves it. But, you know, uh, you know, Brutal has pitched very, very well for them. He's just a young kid, but he, uh, he he seems fearless out there. I think they may trust him more than anybody. And just, just, just talk about how tough the Rays are. I mean, you look at this team and the way Kevin Cash and they go about their business, man, they are just tough to beat. They really are. I mean, uh, you know, they're, they're a version of Oakland A's. And Oakland A's very, very complete, too, great defense. But of all my years covering baseball, Chris, I don't remember a team in a single postseason playing defense like this. I mean, you're seeing the Astros throw the ball, you know, their bats up in the air, uh, slamming their helmets down just out of sheer frustration. Yeah, they're not hitting the ball over the uh, fence. The, the Rays are catching it. Just tremendous, tremendous defense. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, pitching and defense, it, it wins championships. And then also, you know, it, it's like, you know, you take the 28 other teams – that are not a part of this series. And you know, all 28 teams and everybody, they're rooting for the Rays. It's like for the Astros, you've got all of baseball who wants to see you out of the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, people are booting for Oakland and, uh, you know, Houston played so tough. I never thought to get past Minnesota, let little Oakland. That was a uh, big surprise. And I uh, tell you what, they could easily be up 3-0 in this series, at least uh, 2-1. With the, with the way they have pitched, and they've squandered some great pitching, they cannot get a single uh, key hit. Uh, I mean, they haven't driven a run with a runner in scoring position yet this series. So, yeah, I mean, there's always a uh, you know, bullseye on their back from what they did in 2017. But with Dusty Baker managing him, it's like, okay, I like to hate the Astros, but I can't because of Dusty Baker. <laughs> yeah, I mean, every, everybody loves D-Bake. There's no question about that. But Kevin Cash, you know, so much people talk about the analytics and they talk about how their game in so many ways is already planned out before they start. But there's something about the manager has to get the buy-in from the players. When you got your top relievers and you're bringing them in the sixth inning, when a guy could be saying, hey, wait a minute, I want to pitch the ninth inning because I want to save because that's going to help me in arbitration. That's going to help me in free agency. Just talk about how what Kevin Cash does so well is he gets everybody to buy into what they're doing. No, uh, you're absolutely right, Chris. I mean, uh, yeah, he gets a lot of help from the analytic department. I'm sure he does stuff that he isn't crazy about, but it, but it works. And uh, you're absolutely correct. You get the players to buy into these things. I mean, go out, yeah, like Joey Wendell, Dusty Berick was just comparing to Brooks Robinson. Well, he's third base one day, second base the next, first base, shortstop. You don't know where he's playing. He's a super utility player. Never hear him complain. Uh, they mix and match and platoon everywhere. You don't hear anybody complaining when they're not in the starting lineup. So, yeah, these guys have bought in, and uh, it is work to perfection. I mean, it, uh, you know, right now, for the first time all year, the Dodgers are not the World Series favorites. It's the Rays. I know. You just tweeted that out. How crazy is that? I mean, for the first time, yeah, we don't expect you to be the team that wins. Right, right, yeah. In the uh yeah, from day one, spring training or before spring training even, the Dodgers are the heavy favorites. You know, the Yankees are right there with them, but the uh yeah, it's amazing what the Rays have done. And then they had the best record in America League uh for a reason. And they're playing the tough AL East. So yeah, they're gonna be around for a while. Uh you know, right now they're strong the World Series favorites in the way uh the young guys and everything else, they may be around for a few years here. You know, before I ask you about Tony Larusa, just just a, a a business question. When you see all of these games, I think these games, for the most part, are getting good numbers. Uh, how do you think this will change Rob Manfred and the business of baseball with with their television partners about having more teams and more playoff games? Well, they certainly want that. You know, the union has to approve it, so they just can't do it. Uh, what Rob Manford and uh, MLB wants to do is go back to 14 teams uh, postseason instead of the 16. Uh, you know, you don't want a, a team with a losing record in there. Uh, that way, the teams with the best records in the league will get a first-round bye. Then do it this way. Then we'll see if the union signs off on it. 
Uh, I think the union's skeptical in the sense that we don't want too many teams to make it. Then it kind of uh, desensitizes the, uh, you know, uh, uh, needing a win, win division. Where, you know, you look at the Dodgers uh, in, in is there, there was no advantage. Obviously, you're playing neutral sites, but you need to have a more advantage than just having a home field, uh, you know, for the first round, that sort of thing. So they need to, uh, you know, hopefully it goes back to normal next year. But with 14 teams, I think uh, TV likes it. And, uh, you know, we'll see what the ratings are. You know, we've had some overlapping games, too. So I wouldn't be surprised if the ratings are down. I got, you know, a, a game on a uh, games on Tuesday night, you know, overlapped by, by about four or five innings. Tony LaRusa just turned 76 years old, obviously has retired. He's in the Hall of Fame. He's got everything he wants. Uh, he's got millions in the bank. You know, he's got a cushy little consultant job with the Angels. Uh, he's got ARF, which, he, which, you know, here in the Bay Area uh, for animals and what he does for rescuing animals and everything that he does. Do you really buy that Tony Larusa at this age will want want to get back into this rat race? There's only one team and one person to do it for, and that's Jerry Reinsdorf of Chicago White Sox. He would come full circle. Uh, they were best of friends. 2011, when Tony Larusa didn't tell a soul he was retiring, or you know, or very few people, I should say, nobody knew about it. Well, on the field that night in uh, St. Louis was Jerry Reinsdorf celebrating with him. Very close friends. Uh, so I think they'd love to see this thing, you know, like a Hollywood story where they both go out in the sunset together with the World Series championship. So it's a very intriguing with Tony. Uh, talked to him the other day. He's turned down jobs in the past. Uh, and they're going to talk. Uh, I think right now um, he's, he's the number one candidate. And, uh, you know, if it doesn't take it, you know, I, I would think they turn to A.J. Hinch. But I think this is Tony's job if you want it. Wow. That, 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 that it is fascinating. And then, you know, let's say he doesn't take it. Do you think that someone and like the White Sox is going to get ready to jump into that pool of either AJ Hinch or Alex Cora once their suspension will be lifted? Uh, AJ Hinch, not Alex Cora for, for whatever reason. Uh, but Hinch, they uh, like a lot. The uh, GM, Rakan, uh, was his agent when he used to work for Jeff Morad. Uh, Kenny Williams, the president. Uh, went to Stanford as, as as well as AJ, uh, you know, different times, but still the Stanford connection. And obviously he had a lot of success. You know, you don't know, you know, uh, you know about what happened with the cheating scandal. Yeah, he served his time. What if more stuff comes out? Nobody, you know, nobody knows uh, for sure. But yeah, they, they like him a lot. But yeah, I, I really believe if it's not Tony, if he doesn't want to do it, then they'll turn to uh, AJ Hinch. You know, Bob, we sat down at spring training right before the A's and the Dodgers played uh, down in Mesa, Arizona. How long does that feel since you and I last sat down and saw each other? Oh, my God. That was my first year covering baseball. It's been so long. Yeah, it's uh, nuts. I remember picking the A's then. I was my, my World Series was Dodgers A's. And I uh, and tell you what, if Matt Chapman hadn't gotten hurt, it might have been the uh, A's right there. Uh, certainly got cold at the wrong time, but this team is going to be around. This team, uh, you know, should be very, very good again next year and bounce right back. Bob, you're the best. We always love having you on, and I would love to talk to you during the World Series. I look forward to it. Well, that's it for A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. We'd like to thank Anthony Castrovince from MLB.com, Mike Farron from MLB Radio, Sirius XM, and the Arizona Diamondbacks, and then longtime MLB columnist Bob Nightingale from the USA Today. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.